Well, good morning. Uh, a fortnight and we're back. Uh, so Sunday week, uh, just a, what's that, 13 sleeps. Uh, we'll be back together as church and uh, so exciting, so important. Uh, Monday night, we've got an information night. Make sure you get on on that. Um, but God has given us a word today, as he has every week, um, that is just so appropriate given our context. So I'm going to pray that the Lord blesses this time uh, as we kind of count down to coming back together as church. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for um, so many gifts and provisions you've given us. We thank you for uh, this news that we can come back together as church. Pray, please, that you would use this time now to stir us, uh, that we might be um, hungry and longing for that time, but that you particularly might keep us in all of these times. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And there is, uh, there's the message this morning. Uh, staying a Christian matters becoming a christian matters coming to faith and staying in the faith with christ matters desperately don't drift don't slide away don't dismiss the christian faith it matters why well, for a whole, whole raft of reasons. I, I love the Bible. It's given us so many reasons. Uh, I, I've just thought of a whole bunch here. Because of the goodness of Christ. Because of the beauty of relationship with Jesus. Uh, because uh, of meaning and purpose. The fact that you come to Christ and you find the meaning of life. The purpose of life. Uh, the hope of eternity. We have something stored up for us into eternity. The wonder of living in relationship with the living God. Uh, who is gracious and loving. Reality. We're made for this God. There's a sense in which when you come back to this God, you come home. You'll find rest for your soul. There's all kinds of reasons to come to faith and stay in faith. Why? Because it's true. The evidence is overwhelming. In fact, we just had read for us chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. God has testified to this salvation by signs, wonders, miracles. The evidences are overwhelming just in the Bible. The evidence is the Bible. Evidence is outside of the Bible. Evidence is in creation of this being created. Evidence is in us of a conscience, morality, all kinds of evidence. Why come to Christ? Why stick with Christ? The evidences are many. Integrity demands it. I could keep going. There's a great number of reasons, but... But there is one that I haven't mentioned yet. And that's meant to be part of that package. Why? Why does it matter? Why come? Why not drift? One of the reasons that's meant to be there is the key message of this first chapter, the first four verses of chapter two, the whole book of Hebrews. And I'll give it to you in a word. Fear. Fear. Now, I know that fear as a motivator has come in for a great deal of critique in recent years. Psychologists, or many psychologists, talk about it as a terrible motivator. Uh, well, here's the thing. God didn't get that memo. Jesus didn't get that memo. He was the one who said, I tell you who you should fear. Not the one who can kill the body, but the one who can kill the body and then cast the soul into hell. He talks about the, the great end, the terrible ends of the narrow road, the broad. He's the one who speaks of fear so often. And reality didn't get that memo. One of the greatest drivers in human life is fear. The fear of looking bad. We'll do all kinds of things to look bad. The fear of loss. The fear of sharks. Goodness me, a shark washed up on the beach at Avoca yesterday. Is this right? The fear will drive you to do all and stop you doing certain things. Now, there are some kinds of fear that are motivators that are unhealthy and dreadful, but some kinds of fear, um, the fear of someone hurting my child, 
will turn the gentlest mother into Godzilla. Have you seen that? Wow. Fear is a powerfully good motivator very often. And God intends us to come to himself and he intends that we stay with the salvation that he's established for himself. And he cares so much that we come to him, that we stay with him, that he's given us a raft of reasons. And I know many of you have been thinking about this through this week. Um, you know, what would you say to someone who was drifting away? What would you say to encourage them to stick at it? What keeps you going? And many of you kind of have thought the, the various reasons that keep you sticking with the things of Christ. Here's a message for this morning. Here's one message this morning. Don't settle for just one reason. You know, you might have one that's top of mind. Wonderful, praise God. But don't settle for just one reason. God wants you to have a raft of reasons that you draw on in all kinds of different contexts to keep you motivated to see how much it matters to be with this God in relationship with him. And especially this morning, the one that's meant to be part of that raft of reasons is fear. And it's massive. It's the big thing through this series in fact we've started this new series looking at the book of hebrews uh, which is a sermon i mentioned this last week it's a sermon preached now transcribed written and written to keep a congregation of people going um, it, it's a it, it talks about this group of people who are under pressure to give up the faith they're being persecuted uh, it's a difficult time he's concerned that they don't drift and it begins with this wonderful exposition of god speaking uh, Josie mentioned that God speaks, but he spoke in the past in a certain kind of way. But in these last days, in these finals days, he's spoken to us by his son. He then explains who his son is. Who is this son that has spoken to us in these last days? Well, he's the heir of all things, verse 2. He's the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. He's the one who sustains all things. And he's the one who's brought purification and salvation. And he's finished that work, verse 3. And verse 4 He's greater than all the angels. Here's a little odd piece we'll pick up this morning. From verse 5 down to verse 15, the whole rest of that chapter is about how Jesus is greater and superior to the angels. Um, but all of that, that whole chapter, that whole first chapter is just the lead up. It's just the introduction to the main point. And the main point is there in chapter 2, verse 1. Why have I told you all of this? Chapter 2, verse 1, so that you won't drift. Let's go through those first uh, three, four verses of chapter 2 and take it step by step. Um, and you'll see, you'll see that this is exactly what he's talking about there because chapter 2, verse 1 starts with the word, therefore, we must pay most careful attention, therefore. Said this often, but whenever you say the word, therefore, what do you ask? What's it there for? Why is it there? Why is the word therefore there? Well, the word therefore is there to land the first chapter. Um, it's there to tell us that what follows is the reason for the whole first chapter. So given all that I've said, therefore, here's what you're to do with it. Here's the implications. And the implication, the reason for the whole first chapter is to not drift away. We must pay more, most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift. 
Don't give up the faith. Don't go back to the life you had. Don't go back to, remember Jewish Christians probably converted out of the Jewish faith in persecution, tempted to go back to their Jewish faith, their safety there, uh, to give up meeting together even. Uh, But why not drift? Well, you can see verse 2 starts with the word for. So first one, main point, don't drift. Verse 2, because. Because, and let me summarize for you i think verse two and three is the key verse for us key verses Uh, here's the reason why you're not to drift away it starts with the word for gives you the because and let me summarize it for you here it is these two verses tell us the reason you're not to drift is fear of the lesser means greater fear of the greater there's what these verses are about fear Fear of the lesser, so fear of the greater. That's the point the preacher's making. Let's go that step by step. Verse 2. So so don't drift. Verse 2. Because since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation, violation and disobedience received its just punishment. Just pause there. Let's just take this chunk by chunk. Since... The message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just pace. If the message by angels was binding, what is the message by angels? Well, it's a reference to the forefathers, the Jewish forefathers. And it's of a piece with verse 1 where God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. It's taking us back to a word that was spoken in the past, a message that was given to our forefathers Um, now the message that I take it he's particularly referring to is the message given to the Jewish people at Mount Sinai when they were brought out of the Exodus to be established as his people that's where the Ten Commandments were given if you're new to the Christian faith um, you can read the book of Exodus it'll tell you that whole account and how in Exodus chapter 20 God uh, spoke gave them words the Ten Commandments and then a great raft of law uh, God came close to them um, and he, he did this to establish them as his people but here's the thing um, in verse 2 of chapter 2 the preacher the writer is telling us that that word that message came through angels crucial point to grasp um, God called them to himself and he he revealed himself to them and this might be a new thought for you but there's various places in the Bible that tells us that God spoke to them but he mediated that message to them through angels Deuteronomy chapter 33 will help you with that Galatians chapter 3 verse 19 speaks exactly of that and Acts chapter 7 tells us that the law was given through angels God gave the law but he mediated it through angels well verse 2 if the message spoken through angels that is the Old Testament word to our forefathers the Jews to establish them as his people at Mount Sinai if that message those spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment so it was binding yes it was given by angels but it was binding so that every disobedience received its just punishment 
That is to say, it mattered. It mattered that this people treated the God who had spoken to them, given them a message to them, even though it was through angels. It mattered that they dealt carefully with that God. Because it was him who spoke to them. It was him who established them in relationship with himself. And any dismissal of God, any rejection of his message, any apathy towards relationship with him who has come to them through angels, was a betrayal that cut to the very core of God and his relationship with them. And notice the word just, the end of verse 2, received its just punishment. God responded to these disobediences and violations with a just punishment. It wasn't malicious. God never acts maliciously. But any relationship with God requires care. I mean, any relationship requires care. Um, and, and the deeper the relationship is, requires greater care. Do, do, you know, I, you may, like me, have picked up the news uh, this last week of an NRL star. And let's not use names. We don't need to run them through any more of this. But... Um, uh, a couple walking, he, he, he's been a great um, star in the, in, the, in the league, walking through a shopping centre, uh, he and his wife, and uh, she, she tells it as he went white uh, and suddenly turned to her and apologised to her because he'd, he'd, it had come home to him much more clearly walking through the centre that a news story was about to break the next day of an affair that he'd had with another woman with an inappropriate relationship with another woman and he knew that his wife was going to suddenly see it in the media and he spilled it all and uh, she was devastated but she was gracious and she forgave him eventually until she found out it was one of dozens which he'd never mentioned and so the relationship was broken you you, you know uh, love is unconditional (laughs) in a kind of way But you cannot continue in relationship closely with someone if you keep betraying it, if you treat it with apathy, if you walk away from it. There are boundaries. And a just response from even a gracious woman is that the marriage ends. Devastating though it is. You know, on occasions in the Bible, the Bible portrays this Old Testament people's, and and ours, but this Old Testament people's relationship with God as a marriage. He is the husband to the wife. Or as a father to a child, a parent's relationship. It's personal. Do you know, you go cold, they went cold, they became apathetic towards God. It wasn't just apathetic towards the policeman or or, or the, the Bunnings monitor who checks your stuff as you leave. It was growing cold on the deepest kind of relationship and it's devastating. And given that they are in relationship, just with, not just with another person, but with the God of the universe, to grow cold on that God and the message that he'd given them was, was to bring just punishment for every violation and disobedience. And the point the author is making is, God has shown us that this is the case. God showed you, he says to this people, again and again and again, that if you disobey relationship with him, if you grow cold in relationship with him, in this Old Testament people, a people that received the message of God through angels, God brought just punishment upon them. Not maliciously, reluctantly, 
constantly calling them to repentance and faith, but eventually judging. And the Old Testament is full of the evidence of God acting justly and bringing judgment on the nations and on his people. Page after page after page, the history of the Old Testament, thousands of years of evidence that God responds justly. You know, one of the problems with our modern culture is that it dismisses the idea of fear. And I want to suggest there's a reason for that spiritually. There is a great movement spiritually to remove any concern about fear as a motivation because that's one of the chief motivations that's meant to play out in the spiritual realm. And so, of course, where our culture is determined to get rid of that, being conscious that there's some kind of uh, um, you know, thing going on, but it's, that's the movement. We, we want to get rid of any sense that there's anything to be afraid of. But God removed whole nations. He judged his own people. He sent them into exile. He brought judgment against them justly. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us, the Apostle Paul says that these things happened in the past and were written down for us that we might learn that God judges justly and that therefore you ought to have fear. You see, every disobedience and violation received its just punishment when you were apathetic to a message spoken through angels. And here's, if there's a consequence for responding to the lesser word badly, the very point of verse 3 is, how shall we then escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation being first announced by the Lord, confirmed to us by those who heard him. This is a reference back to chapter 1, verse 2. The message given to us by his son, the greater word. If a people received just punishment for apathy towards God's word in responding to an, a message that's a lesser one, that came through angels, how much more serious is it if we drift from this greater word a word through the son of god through the costly purification that came by his death for us this salvation if we drift from that word you see this is why th this first chapter pays so much attention to angels most of it's sort of easy to wonder why on earth he spends from verse 4 down to verse 14, 10 verses, most of the chapter, talking about angels. Were they just into angels back then? No, 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 no. His point is, he's saying, he's going to make the point that the message the Jewish people you heard in the past came through angels. And he's trying to drive home clearly that this message that's come in these last days, the message of God's son that's come in the son, is far superior than that message. And, and so he, let's, let's take a very quick look at it. Verse 5, uh, he gives a series of statements, I suggest three little packages of verses that help us understand how the, how the sun is greater than the angels. And you'll see it there in verse 5, to which of the angels did God ever say? Um, and uh, verse 7, in speaking of the angels, he says. 
And verse 13, to which of the angels did God ever say? There's three little headings. And under each heading is a series of verses. And each of these packages of verses make the point that the Son is greater. Verse 5, the Son is greater than the angels because the, the, the Son is the Son. He's the Son of the Father. Um, Whereas verse 6, the angels are to worship the Son. They're just, they're worshippers of the Son. The Son is far greater. Verse 7, the contrast is being made, I take it, between the angels as um, inconsequential, insubstantial, just like the wind, just like the fire. But verse 8, verse 10, the Son, His throne lasts forever. He is eternal. All will perish, but he will remain, verse 11. Verse 12, he remains the same. He is far superior to the angels who are just like wind and fire who disappear. And then thirdly, verse 13, to which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool? The, 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 the son, the, the, the eternal son is the Lord of all. Whereas the angels, verse 14, are merely servants of those who inherit salvation. Do you see, he goes to town to drive home the truth that the son is the son of the father, not just a servant, is eternal, will, is substantial, unlike the angels, who rules all, unlike the angels, are merely servants, so that the message of angels is the lesser message. But the message of the son, the heir of all things, the, the representation exactly of God, the one who sustains all things, the radiance of God's glory, the one who's finished purification. That is the greater word. And if you were to fear a word delivered by angels or fear the consequences of ignoring that word, what hope is there? If we ignore the word of this son, if we drift from this son, that's the point of this first chapter. You know, it connects directly. I, I can't help but remember the parable Jesus himself told of a landowner who, um, who richly provided uh, a living for tenants of a vineyard. You might remember it. And he comes eventually, having given them everything, having, comes eventually just for the right rent. He sends a messenger, but they reject and beat up the messenger. He sends another bent just to get the rent. And they beat up on him again and again. And he says, finally, I'll send my son. Surely they'll listen to him. He comes in the person of his son. And Jesus, of course, is talking about himself here. But he comes in the son. And what do the landowners do? What do the tenants do? They kill the son. And Jesus makes the point that it's bad to reject the messengers. But horrific to disregard the son. The application to us. Don't drift. Don't drift. And fill up your heart and mind with the raft of reasons why it matters not to drift. There'll be different ones. I, I, I ran through a quick raft of them. Don't be satisfied with just one reason why it matters. You, you might have one that's top of mind and that's wonderful, but don't just settle for that one reason. 
God has given us many different reasons, knowing the frailty of the human heart, knowing that we need many different reasons for all the different contexts we might find ourselves in. He's given us many. And I want to suggest he's given us, he's given us two kinds at the very least. And I'm going to put it like this. He's given us the push and the pull reasons. What might be called the positive and the negative reasons. He's given the pull reasons, the, the beauty of who he is, the, 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 the wonder of relationship with himself, the loving grace that he's poured out in his son, in the salvation that's so wonderful. He's given us these wonderfully positive reasons. Why wouldn't you come? To find the very reason you exist, the purpose of life, integrity demands it. Why wouldn't you come? You're coming home. There's eternity stored up. Why wouldn't you come? He gives us these raft of reasons. But then he gives us this reason. If you don't come, if you drift away, there's the horror of judgment. And that is what this book drives us home to repeatedly. Towards the end of the book, you'll use this kind of language. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Don't drift away. If you ignore such a salvation, there is no other hope. There's no other word. Our God, he says, is a consuming fire. Don't drift. Drift away from the sun. There is no word of life left. But a consuming fire. Don't drift. And notice the word. The word drift. It's the wisdom of the pastor to choose such a word. I take it. You know, it's, it's rare to give up the faith in one crisis moment where you say, I've had enough. I have met a couple of people who have gone through that experience, sadly, tragically. But it's rare. It's rare that it's a big decision where I'm just going. More often, it's the slow, imperceptible drift away. It's death by a thousand cuts. It's sitting in the boat where the anchor, with the wind blowing, the anchor slowly drags. Until you finally look up one day and you realize I'm in a very different place than I was before. It's the drift. Again, Jesus spoke about this in the parable of the sower, the third soil, the thorns that rise up to choke out the faith. It's not one great crisis cutting down the Christian faith. It's the slow choking out of the Christian faith. The book of Hebrews will talk about this, about getting rid of that sin and everything else that so easily entangles. It's the slow disengagement with the core things of the Christian faith that keep us. It's, it's slowly no longer giving attention to the means of grace that God intends for our good. What do I mean by means of grace? Um, it's an old phrase that comes out of uh, older Christian thinking and talk where th those things that God gives us to help us continue to walk in his grace. It's things like prayer, Bible reading, Christian fellowship, 
singing together, singing to one another. The sacraments. These are the kinds of things that are known as the means of grace to stir us, to keep walking with Christ to the difficulties of life and not, not drifting. Well, how do you drift? You slowly give less engagement to the things of the means of grace. Can you see how this is a word for today? What has been happening for the last 18 months? For the last bunch of months, we've been completely out of the ability to gather together as a public assembly, to sing to one another, to stir one another with our words, to, to, to hear together the reading of Scripture, the words of Scripture preached to us. We've got this, we've got this um, substitute, but it's a very poor it's a very fraught substitute. Now take care in all of this. You see, what saves a person, what makes that a person is saved is repentance and faith, not Bible reading, prayer and going to church. So be careful here. Um, the, the thing that brings you to salvation, to this great salvation, is turning away from self-rule and bowing the knee to Christ and embracing him as your Lord and Saviour. Um, it's, it's recognizing um, from the heart that my only hope is Jesus. He is true. He is real. I need to bow before him and embrace him as my king. It's an inner conviction that makes you saved, a Christian. The external things we do don't make us Christians. Reading the Bible doesn't make you a Christian. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Meeting with other Christians that talk about the things of Christ, not make, they don't make you a Christian. But... If you are a Christian, if the inner conviction of your heart is to want to serve this Lord and lean on him for your salvation through his merits, not your own. If that's the inner conviction of your heart, you will care about all the external things. You will see the need for those external things. And a lack of desire for those external things is evidence that you're drifting. It's evidence you're dr the drift has started. And don't think you're immune. You may have been in church all your life. I'm, I'm okay. No, no, the Apostle Paul says, beware if you think you stand firm lest you fall. It's at that very point where you think this couldn't be my fate. That you're in the most dangerous state. You believe still? So do the demons. And they tremble. You know, it might be you're in that moment where the Christian faith is so captivating for you, you think you could never fall away. Take heed to yourself. Why? Because it matters. It matters. Fear. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And if you, are, if you slide out of relationship with Christ through him as your Lord and Saviour, if you slide out of that, there is no word that will save you on that day. You see, notice this, the preacher at this point is not concerned about people's self-esteem. He's not concerned about people's physical health. 
He's not concerned about how their families are or how much they're enjoying church. He's narrowed down to the big thing. Will you survive that day when we one day will stand before the judge of all the earth? Because the fact is we all will one day stand before him stripped bare. And at that moment, it won't be about how many good things you did, how your intentions were good. It won't be about that. It will be about whether you are genuinely clinging to Christ as your Lord and Saviour, as your only hope, as the one who ruled your life. It won't matter whether you were left wing or right wing or for the vaccination or against the vaccination. It will be, are you in Christ? Have you remained in Christ? Have you continued in your faith in Christ? Because he's our only hope. He has brought such a great salvation and he has announced this to us and made it evident to us by all kinds of ways because he wanted us to know this is our only hope. There's only one name by which you can be saved. He cuts through it all to the heart of the matter. And brothers and sisters, can I urge you not to drift? Let me boil this down to just two things, actually. Two things that are the attitude of the heart. See, what do you do with all of this? Well, actually, I'll tell you, what we as a pastoral leadership team have done with all of this is we have been desperate for the last 18 months to make sure no one is lost to the faith. Uh, you, you need to know that. That's been our kind of banner over this last 18 months. We... we we have worked so, we've been prayerful, working so hard to make sure that not one person is lost to the things of Christ during this dreadful time. And so you need to know that's our heart for you. And we've been laboring and working to that end. Um, and we've been seeking to stir people to actually state, take steps of maturity during this time. Uh, because, because of the wonderful things it is to be in a relationship with Christ and the terrible thing it is to lose relationship with Christ. Let me boil this down to these two things. Attitudes of the heart. Humility and fear. Humility and fear. Humility. Let this stir in you a heart that says, this is not about me, this is not about my wants, this is not about my desires and excuses. This is my humility before God. I will have to stand before him one day, be humbled. What matters most on that day is that I'm found in him. Be humble enough to see the potential of drift in your life and to own it, name it. Stop hiding. Stop pretending that you are something you're not. Have the humility to see it. Humility. To have a humility that realises my only hope is in Christ and his death on my behalf. And let this be not just a vague belief, but a living relationship with this God. Humility. But fear. Cultivate what I'm going to call godly fear. Not this kind of terrified fear, but godly fear. This is a kind of word this, Bible, this book of the Bible uses regularly. Godly fear. That life with this God through the merits of Christ is the thing that matters most seriously to me of everything. 
I take this seriously because nothing else matters like it. It is a godly fear that makes me realize, um, take care to myself. Take seriously the things of Christ. Take seriously the means of grace. Friends, can I encourage you as a consequence of this time in the word that you might pray, I'm going to pray now, that the Lord might teach us humility and fear to take these things with the utmost seriousness that all of us might be found safe in Christ. And those of you who are listening who aren't perhaps yet in Christ, that you might be stirred as well to see how much these things matter. Let me pray to those ends. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you for the richness of your word, the revelation of the whole history of Israel that teaches us how seriously you take apathy and disobedience and drifting. Help us therefore have a humility and a godly fear to recognize the seriousness of the word that we've now received in Christ. That there is no greater word. That, that apart from this word there is no hope. Help, help us be drawn to want to be with you and help us be terrified of ever being found outside of you. Cultivate in us humility. Our need for you is vast and godly fear that we would do nothing that would lead us away from you. Help us be stirred back, please, to pay attention to all the helps you have given us. Let us gather back as church, ready to give ourselves to stirring one another to love and good deeds. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.